tonight on Chainsaw Buffet. I will be your host. We will be exploring this evening the dichotomy of the soul, um, whether we are inherently good or evil. And we will also be talking with uh, the ghost of Julia Child. She will be uh, offering recipes based on um, her time in hell. So we hope you'll enjoy and uh, stick around with us. Good evening. We are being joined by um, none other than Lucas Leverett, otherwise known as Conchair Lucas, the uh, the head of the Middle Tennessee Anime Convention. We're uh, pleased to have him, and if you'd like to have him back, uh, please send us one million dollars before April thirtieth. Yeah, I don't. Maybe some people would. No. Well, in that case, I'll sit here with my my pinky in the corner of my mouth. Yeah, we'll totally split it with you too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, then send money. Because we're going to hurt him. Yep. I mean, yeah. yeah. They're doing it right now. Ow. Let's see. Well, uh, let's get started. I was wondering, what was the first anime that you ever watched? Oh, um, well, it depends on how you count it. Uh, I was, I'm far too old uh, for some of this, even though I'm getting, it's getting less bad because more people start joining me in my 30s and they're still into anime and doing cons. But um, when I was a kid, I probably didn't know that I was watching Robotech as an anime. I, I knew Robotech, but I didn't know, oh, this is something. That was It was just a cartoon that seemed relatively low budget on a Sunday morning on a really random UHF channel. Um, you know, that, that was probably the first... And then, of course, depending on how you split the hairs, uh, Transformers, my original childhood fandom that still persists today, depending on which portions of it and how you view anime is another one. But really, the real first anime would definitely be Robotech. Um, The first anime I knew I was watching was Ranma. Um, That was the first time I was sat down by a friend and said, this is anime and pushed play. Um, But then he was also a huge Robotech fan, and he said, you know, let's watch some Robotech. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, Robotech. Cool, I remember that. And so those two kind of really would be the first, and that probably dates me really well. <laughs> so then what, I guess, what did you, before you knew, when you were watching anime before you knew it was anime, um, what did you think of it? I mean, how, how did you compare it to the other cartoons that you were watching? It's an easier comparison in the 80s because everything was cheap looking uh, compared to now. You know, you have miscolored frames in a lot of 80s cartoons that make up for what was conceived by most kids in the 80s as the more ghetto animation. You know, now we, we look at anime and we appreciate what it is and we appreciate cell shading and that sort of thing that we didn't get as kids. We just saw it. It was different. And since it wasn't the, the majority, it was the minority, um, we assumed, oh, well, that's cheaper. But then in, in retrospect, it's actually more artistic way better. It probably did cost more uh, because, you know, Hasbro and uh, Deke and all those guys wouldn't have gotten into it if it was very expensive to do all these Transformers and G.I. Joe things, but I think that was my first thought was, oh, this is kind of weird. It like, looks like, it was kind of old at that point, but this looks really old and it looks kind of cheesy, but that you know, it was still entertaining, and, and back when there were cartoons 
reliably until lunchtime on the weekend days, it was part of the, the collection, you know, right alongside all sorts of other crazy stuff from uh, the U.S. and other, probably other imported stuff I didn't even realize I was watching. But um, that'd be my first impression. Okay, this, this is not necessarily mainstream. It's just a cheap thing to put on Sunday morning. But now, looking back, it's like, wow, I wish I could have gone back and told myself, you're lucky to be able to see this on a UHF channel, because you don't really see that now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's kind of hard to find anything now. Saturday, Sunday, I yeah. guess. Cartoon Network, being something that shows cartoons all around the clock, the others. Yeah, it was. Except on Wednesdays from like 8 to 11, and then on, you know, nights from like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, because Cartoon Network isn't even showing cartoons all the time no. anymore. Right. British comedies now. But then you have the, the news shows. There's so many magazine shows and such. They've taken over a lot of the morning slots. Uh, and everybody's trying to compete. The networks are trying to keep a, a live stream uh, in the face of the news channels. So I can kind of understand economically why they don't do cartoons, but then it's, it's still very disappointing. Uh, but that's why we have DVRs. You just uh, record everything and then you watch it on your weekday morning or weekend mornings, which is what I do with my son and stuff like that. So. so you're making your own Saturday morning cartoons. Exactly. Yeah, Saturday mornings we actually were getting up and watching the new Transformers animated. Uh, it's my attempt to give him his introduction. Uh, now it's canceled, of course, but uh, we would we would record stuff and watch it uh, most recently. And, and that's really how I operate. I just watch it whenever. That is awesome. And I, I do like the new, well, it's now old Transformers animated. If it's not it, it was going well. It, you know, love it or hate it, mixed opinions. But I think it was going well. And for introducing a, a kid uh, that's that's not aware of it to it, it was great. And he knows characters by name and stuff. He's two. I mean, and it had enough nods to the to the older series yes. that people didn't give it a chance. They don't. Some people don't know that. But they had a lot of good stuff. And Weird Al came back to voice and it was just yeah, great stuff. That was all. and I and I at first kind of. Thought, oh, this is going to be after seeing the character designs uh, yeah, and yeah. and some of the stuff. I was like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be good. But then got some of the toys, started watching the cartoon, and it all worked really well. It was very different. And the toys are actually really cool. I, I we uh, like most fans of, of anything, anybody in fandom. Um, and, and then once you get kids, um, you have that conversation. These are daddy's toys, and these are your toys. Now we have an hour toys section, and that's the uh, the Transformers animated. It's both of our collection, um, and some of those have been really well done. The uh, the planes in certain in the, in the right class are really good mecha toys. Mm-hmm. Outside of being Transformers, they're really good mecha toys. And the only complaint I have is that everything's made of this that cheap powdery plastic. That's the only complaint I have because Hasbro shades their artwork on their website. It looks great on the web. You're like, oh, badass! And then okay, it's just okay, <laughs> but the the construction. The way they design them is very anime when you really look at the toy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are details there that they don't put in most American toys. So I think they did a decent job, and, and I look forward to the way that that cartoon will kind of affect other things that come along and other toys. Because we all inherit our pop culture, cartoon culture, to a certain percentage, depending on who you are, from Japan. So it's good stuff. What was the, um, the first anime that you actually collected? Ooh. Um... When I got into this, uh, you didn't get to, there was no YouTube, and you didn't get to download very much. Um, it was old school. You had to send your blank VHS tapes to somebody that did fan subs and let them dub off a copy and then bring you send it back to you. And So you'd have like the one guy or the two guys in your anime club that were the, the filter, 
and you'd tell them what you wanted and bring them the tapes, and they would take care of getting it all back and forth. And, um, you know, I collected what, what I was interested in uh, that I couldn't get with friends. So I think I, I snatched up all the copies that were available in the club of DNA Squared. Um, I visually thought it was really cool looking. My interest in anime has always been visual. It's interesting that people, they always come up and talk to me about characters and shows and plots and stories, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of nod and smile, and, and I act like I really know because I'm in charge of an anime con, I have to. But at the end of the day, I really, I'm visual. I'll look at something and go, that looks cool. You know, um, for me, that's what brings me to the door. Uh, and so when I see something, I'm like, okay, that's neat. And if I don't think I can get together with friends on a regular basis and watch it, then I'm probably going to try to get it. And that's what happened with, you know, I, I didn't need to own Robotech because that friend had every single thing ever done. Um, Ranma I had some of. The uh, the first thing, I guess, that I really actually collected the tapes, but they were all fans of, was DNA Squared. The first thing I made sure I had DVDs as soon as I could was Golden Boy because it was one of my first loves. Uh, I take a lot of flack from people, uh, especially the guys that were in the anime Nashville club that was the original gateway for all of us into this, and that was where we all sat around and said, hey, let's start a con. Uh, those guys gave me absolute hell. Uh, they still do. A lot of them hate the dubbed uh, Golden Boy, which I love. Uh, Doug Smith is a friend, uh, and I met him through being an interest in Golden Boy and bringing him to MTech, and uh, I think his work brings something to it that really makes it... You can sit down with almost anybody that's a fan of your slapstick, burp-and-fart comedy American movies and say, check this thing out. It's really funny. And they'll get into it because they're still a Stifler fan, you know, from, from American Pie. So they, they, they can relate the goofy character. I understand he's not as goofy in the uh, non-dub version. He's more straight-laced, still haphazard. He's probably really goofy in Japanese terms. In American terms, he's just not as funny unless he's that wacky Doug Smith version. Right. Um, that was the first thing I really obsessed. I was like, oh, I've got to have that. And I got the VHS tape of the first one, and I had Tiffany Grant sign it for me at MTAC when she was a guest uh, in our second MTAC. And then uh, I got Doug to sign it for me by the time I got him in town. And I still keep it sitting aside, but I've got the DVD copies as the keep them, collect them copies. So that, really that's about all. I mean, nowadays I, there's not much need to collect for me, because I don't like having a lot of media sitting around. I like copies, you know, electronic copies if I can get them. I hate influencing any kind of copyright theft. But at the same time, I just want to watch something once in a while. I don't, you know, being visually interested, I might not even watch the whole series. So it doesn't do me any good to buy a box set. Um, I'm hoping that iTunes and stuff like that picks up more of it where you can rent it. Uh, I know Netflix has a pretty good representation, you know, so that's kind of stuff. I like that theory. Rent it, check it out. If you love it, keep it. You know, Voices of a Distant Star, I would buy that because I think it's an important piece of anime history to keep on, you know, on a video copy. But I don't really obsess over anything anymore, but that would be the original, I guess, for DVD and VHS. Now, you were... Were you in the Nashville Club before MTAC started? Yeah. Yeah, and I helped found it. Who's... Um, I guess how how did you decide? I mean, how was the decision process to say you know let's let's do a convention? Was it just thrown out there at one meeting, or, or had it been had it been circulating around? I was uh, like many of us. I grew up a nerd um, in whatever <laughs> whatever way. You know, when I was in elementary school, you know, uh, I had a, a friend who, honest, honest to goodness, was named Han. Um, <laughs> so we were Han and Luke by default by all of our friends, um, but. Uh, you know, from that point, and I was into Transformers, and I was into 
you know, thinking about it 24-7 in high school, you know, I did RPGs and I tried to write a Star Trek RPG with friends and, and, and argued about the physics of whether or not you could put an engine there and all this other stuff. And so I always had these nerdy interests. And then after high school, uh, out in the world, I was taking a break between that and college and I had my first, like, regular job. In high school, I worked at a science museum. So I didn't have to flip burgers or any of these weird, annoying things that we all have to do typically. I got to be in a nerdy job. I got to play with you know, electricity and liquid nitrogen and alligators and just cool stuff. And I met lots of people through there, including one of the people that helped me uh, early in MTAC. Uh, and he's the one with all the Robotech collection. And, and he, uh, his name is Patrick. And he uh, was driving into Nashville from 70 miles away to work at the Science Museum. Uh, following that interest, and he had introduced me through a friend of his that was a member of the Nashville Anime Club, Anime Nashville. Uh, and all the guys that were in that were working professionals, late 20s at the time. Now everybody's in their 30s, and some of them 40s. Uh, and we all would meet. Uh, we had one guy that worked at a media play uh, back when it still existed. Yeah. <laughs> and in the back room of the media play, he could have us there as a sponsored club of media play. And uh, then we switched to Tower Records at one point, you know, and, and we would just meet and we would plan to go to cons. We would, AWA was the con. We would go to AWA. Uh, my first one was either the fourth or fifth, uh, maybe. Could have been the sixth, but I think it was the fourth or fifth. I remember the sixth, which is weird because I drank more at the sixth, but I still remember it the best. Uh, <laughs> but basically, um, you know, went to, went to cons and, and swapped tapes and had house meetings and watched anime. And we were sitting around, uh, maybe in passing, once in a blue moon, somebody would say, it'd be neat to run an anime convention. Everybody would go, get real, we got lives. <laughs> you know, and uh, we were approached by a couple of local comic book shops that were doing a Pokemon tournament. And they knew we existed. They knew that we had asked them if, if we could meet with them and we just, they didn't have the room or whatever. And they said, you know, we're going to do this little Pokemon tournament. Um, and we know there's conventions out there for this stuff. Would you guys want to like at least enhance it and maybe run a video room? And we were like, yeah, sure. I mean, that's child's play. We can show up and play a bunch of videos. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know who said it, uh, but somebody said, why not make it a convention if we're going to be there anyway? And it was probably a two-week planning period. Um, it took place in a December uh, '99. I think it was like December 12th or something. I, I, the anime conventions database has it. <laughs> so. Um, you know, so here we are in December. We got two weeks. We we kick around a name. Uh, one of our one of our founders uh, he came up with the the acronym MTAC, very explicit Middle Tennessee Anime Convention. It couldn't get any easier than that. But we liked it. I, you know, I've always been um, since the, the the early days. I mean, I had some retail jobs, but I shortly ended up pursuing a design and marketing career path and education path. And so for me, it had a ring because it sounds like the word impact. And uh, so he said MTAC, and I'm like, huh, yeah, I can work with that. I can work with that. Anime Nashville was taken as the club name, and we didn't want to name them the same thing. Uh, legal reasons, uh, nonprofit reasons, if we pursued that, you know, there are all these reasons not to do it. But that would have been a great name, Anime Nashville, but it was already a club. So we used MTAC, we went and we did a video room, and we did a, a cosplay contest. And this consisted of basically one big meeting room. With uh, my dad's a stagehand, and at the time I was, uh, I think I was living with my grandmother, or I just moved back to Murfreesboro, one of the two. My parents were still greatly giving me a lot of support and things, and I said, hey, Dad, can you get us some trade show curtains some from somewhere, some warehouse with the, with the uh, 
because it was TNN and all that at the time, and Nashville it still had its own entity. It wasn't part of CMT. It wasn't part of all this other stuff. So he's like, yeah, yeah, the warehouse has some curtains. So he got me some trade show curtains. We curtained off one end of the room. Patrick brought his home theater system. We uh, snagged a projector, I don't know where, or a big screen or something. And we had this video room that you could totally hear from right outside in what was essentially the dealer room, which at the other end had the tournament area. It was basically just one big room. And then we had a little outside emergency exit door that we used as a backstage. And I think somebody built a riser out of wood or something, maybe. I don't even remember how that worked. But we had people standing outside in the hall, emergency exit hall, coming in onto the quote-unquote stage and presenting their costume. There were like maybe, I don't know, 20 people at at the most. That might be greatly exaggerated. It could have been five. But um, this tiny little thing, and it cost $2 to, to get in. And I think maybe two... 100 people tops showed up and that probably counted every single person working uh, and there was this vibe that we should do it again and it was really old school I mean we were just sitting around I wasn't actually in charge uh, Phil Davis who was vice president of the anime club at the time uh, he was in charge of MTAC uh, the chair as it were I think we just started out just everybody just did something we had a piece of round wood that my father had at the warehouse we painted red and hung it with paper drawings of, at that time, the uh, convention mascots were the two mascots of the two clubs that came together. An Outer Limits Anime Club, which was based in a comic book shop in northern Nashville, had a kitty, a cat girl. And we had Bob, the big old battleoid. It was an acronym. And he had, like, a cowboy hat and cowboy boot-shaped <laughs> feet, smokestacks like Optimus Prime. He was this... Amalgamation of everything that we could visualize into a mech for Nashville. I mean, it was part of a series of whacked out characters. We eventually took the female in the group who was this like destructive pyromaniac gun wielding chick called Juki, which meant big gun. Um, we took her and kind of let her be the anime Nashville main thing. But those kinds of things were the original original basis of Con Kitty. Con Kitty was actually Olak's kitty uh, graduated into a different type of mascot. So we had them outside on a on a lattice wall, hanging this cheesy sign. And just, that was the origin. It was just a little thing. I was sitting around, you know, under the stairs, talking to other fans, and I did this random lunch run and got food, and just just very small, old school. It was like a glorified club meeting. I think probably as many people showed up for that as we had show up six years later for bowling night. <laughs> that's, that's about it. That's, that was the roots. Well, you've been con chair for several years now. Is there a point at which... You would intend to stop. <laughs> well, can't talk about that without the, the starting. Um, you know, we did 99, and we did 2000, which was MTAC two and a half. And a lot of people don't understand why we do the names that we do. Um, some of these partners early on uh, got some cold feet for MTAC two. And uh, in 2000, we were thrown a few months later than we planned because they created a a presence in the dealer community. They had recruited all these dealers. The dealers that you see now at different shows, way smaller back then, way fewer conventions, different business model. These people probably used their garage and had real jobs. Now a lot of them have stores, which is a real job. Um, And uh, not that going, if you're on the road every weekend at an anime convention, that is also a real job, but I just couldn't imagine it. I'd die. (laughs) But, uh, you know, those people were given the impression the show was canceled. And, uh, we had to clean up that mess, and we were afraid to clean up the mess and try to still have the con on time, so we delayed it, and we decided, you know what, let's be funny. I'm always a fan, 
and especially since I was in charge of promotions at the time. I'm a fan of taking your weaknesses, making them look like assets, or making them look like you meant to. Uh, that's one of the best ways that things happen. Look at breakfast cereal. Half of that shit's an accident. <laughs> you know it's an accident when you look at the way this... Yeah. New Lucky Charms with only clovers. That means some dude pressed the clover button too long at the plant, and instead of, you know, they just did a new box design for six weeks. So, basically, we decided, let's do two and a half. And let's theme it. Ronma one half. Two and a half. There we go. Then we decided, let's never go back. MTAC Pie. We themed it to the made anime that was becoming very popular. And it was MTAC 3.14, because we were no longer on regular numbers. So MTAC Pi. Um, and after MTAC Pi, we kind of had a, a lot of burnout. A lot of the older guys were starting to really have their careers take off, and they had had a terrible time at MTAC Pi because we had lost the original hotel, had to get a different hotel. Um, people to this day that swore that we should have one of the... Well, there were two choices. We chose one. We chose poorly. <laughs> and those people that chose the other one and said, we just spent the extra two grand over here, and we're like, no, save money. And now they'll, they'll be the first to tell you, remember when we said you should do that one? But we, we ended up skipping a year uh, between Pi and 4.01 Beta, um, and we changed leadership. The, uh, we had a meeting, and uh, at the time, my assistant, who was doing a way better job at marketing than I was, Cole Stant, who recently stepped down from the marketing position at MTAC, he had it full-time, he nominated me to be the chair of essentially killing MTAC, with class because I said you know if I have to I can go out there and make it look good that we did this thing and we're done with it uh, and I went out there and I put one simple statement out I said if you are interested in MTAC proceeding this is my address and on this particular Sunday afternoon come to my door and I had about eight people maybe ten show up that were interested in making it happen they became the first board of directors of the, the structure that I use in MTAC which is not just a you know, you do this, you do this, you do this, and we're all responsible, and we're going to split the money if we go into debt. Um, it was structured. It had a. It, there was a charter before. Uh, I'm good. This probably indicates my political leanings. I'm good at taking a simplistic document, expanding it more governmentally, and spending more money on it. So, uh, <laughs> basically, I took it and expanded it. Got those people signed on. They helped to write it. We made a brand new charter with a very structured board of directors, and took over. So the O3 gap was basically the restructuring and me taking over. I do much better when I'm in charge. I work harder. It's probably a combination of ego and responsibility because you're stuck with it. You're like, shit, I have to do this. Um, but he did a better job of marketing, so we gave it to him. And I took over the, the head of the organization. I dealt with the hotels because I was the one that went in when we had a very tedious experience at that last one and negotiated a discount based on all the problems we had. And from that point on, they were like, you're the contract guy now. You're the only hard ass we've got. You are the only one that can stick these people to it. So you're going to be do hotel, do hotel. So we invented that position and made that the chair, at least in this iteration. So when I took over, I said, okay, folks, we're going to do this thing. 04, let's call it 4.01 beta because this is this, this is the next attempt. And uh, we'll theme it cyberpunk, ghost in the shell-ish. So that's why we went with the, like, the wires and the chick with the cables. And, uh, basically... I told everybody, I'm, I'm probably good for 1,500 people. And then I said, you know, I, I'll pull my hair out about then. I don't know if I can handle that. You know, there's a lot of money already. That After that 4.01 convention, I stuck uh, a lot of money under my seat in my car and went to the bank. And it was very nerve-wracking. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I don't think I can do this beyond X dollars of responsibility or 1,500 people. That particular MTAG, we had planned on the previous performance of 400-some-odd people in the fall. Switched to spring... 
by pure luck and cold, driving me to go to a very high-end hotel in a very trendy part of town that I never would have approached, who happened to be ready to make a deal, made an insane deal for the weekend, and enabled us to really take off, right next to Vanderbilt campus, which was a huge deal. Um, we ended up with 700 people when we had planned for, or maybe it was 11, but we, we, we had a lot. We planned for X, we had Y, and we, we were like, oh my God, you know, the train hit us just straight in the face. And, and I realized, I was like, okay, well, 1,500, mm, that gives me like another year <laughs> at this rate. So I stuck with it, and it's kind of a drug. Uh, some people bungee jump. <laughs> some people like the feeling that if they strap themselves to a rope and they jump and their eyes are headed straight toward the rocks, but at the last minute, the spring of the, the rope pulls them up, everything's fine. That's exactly the way running a convention is. <laughs> when it gets close, like right now with GMX in two weeks, it's like, ah! And then it all works. There are bumps. Sometimes there are things you have to smooth over. Sometimes you have to take something and fake it and make it like you planned it and sell it to everybody. But it, at the end of the day, it's a rush. Uh, it's an extended rush. Sometimes it's a very stressful family uh, destroying and uh, difficult rush. My fiancé, who just finished a tenure as treasurer, will tell you that it's not easy. Uh, a, it's not easy to be... Uh, with the con chair and she's been with me for nine years she's been there since the early days uh, she was there to say I'm not sure you should take over she was there to say you're crazy still uh, she was there to say I don't think you needed to keep doing this you're nuts and, and she was there to say I think it's time for me to step down to take a little bit of the pressure off it's not easy but I'm still hooked I'm not sure when uh, when the time is to go uh, I've always counted on maybe the staff or the fans indicating we're tired of you you're not relevant <laughs> Whatever it is, uh, so far, there, there have been multiple ways of coming to the realization that I'm the only one that can do this right now. Everyone we've ever looked at is almost there. Everyone that uh, I wish was there, it either didn't work out or I can't quite see it yet. Um, there have been teases occasionally of somebody that might step up. But there have been reasons why there's no way they could do it. It's a combination of, of being able to tolerate the stress, being able to have the drive and the vision. And like people that run for president uh, psychologically, I think there's a certain megalomaniacal tendency. Um, you have to be wired in such a way that you can look at a beast like this and say, I can do that. Um, not everybody's like that. Not everybody can look at it and say, I can do that, even though you may be terrified of it which I'm no longer terrified of MTAC. I'm a little terrified of GMX, but I'm not terrified of MTAC. It's, a, it's its own critter. Um, you know, the, the whole board of directors could pass out, and, like, random fans would just start doing shit. It, you know, it would probably just work out on its own. It's not too big of a deal. So, it, you know, it's essentially not a, a, a real big uh, scary thing, but it's, uh, it's still a stressor of enough uh, uh, risk that it pushes you. But I, I'm still hooked. It would make sense from a business perspective or from a personal perspective. It would be good to uh, to move away in the not-too-distant future. I just don't know when that is, um, and I don't know how to do that. Part of me, my ego, wants to go on stage one day and say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to MTAC, and I'm leaving, and get that big standing ovation and all that <laughs> bullshit. But the other part of me wants to be more responsible and more methodical about it and take on a, 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 an apprentice of some sort and teach someone else how to do what I do. So I don't know how that will occur, and I don't know when it will occur. I do know that I really want to be involved in this for uh, the conceivable future because the reasons that I do it are not just personal. It's not just fun and a rush and a, an addiction and uh, an ego feeder. Um, 
it's not just all that. It really is the opportunity to take people who were like me uh, when I was younger and give them this really amazing experience. I only had lame-ass, profit-based Star Trek conventions that took place in one room. It wasn't really the fan thing, like, like an anime convention. Nothing is like this. And, well, okay, Dragon Con is definitely very like this, but I think doing this is, is giving back to people that are like me, and, and doing it is uh, a cultural service as well, especially in the Southeast. We're bringing something to the, the country in a force that would never have happened without the fandom. And I think there's a certain amount of responsibility there. And I also think it'd be really cool if my kids at school, uh, being able to tell his friends that his dad runs MTAC, or his dad's helping run MTAC. So I don't see leaving out, out and out just leaving. Though I would leave in a minute uh, for something important. Uh, you know, if, if Alexander were ever ill and uh, needed my constant attention, uh, God forbid something happened to me or Jesse, uh, I would never put MTAC above them in the lifelong uh, perspective. Though I do do it occasionally for a few hours or a couple of days, sometimes a weekend like this. And there is guilt in this job, but but it's, it's still a good a good thing at the end of the day. I think the net is still positive, though it's very difficult. And you've got friends in the mix, too. So it's, it's always just a challenge. But I don't know when it is, and I don't know what it is, other than something terrible that I wouldn't want to think about. I don't know what would make me just go. But uh, phasing out, eventually. Who knows? Yes. That's like asking somebody when they're going to quit cocaine, I guess. <laughs> you can stop it any time you want. Yeah. You can stop it any time you want. <laughs> well, we're, I guess, what, two years now into a, into a downward economy. Um, some signs of recovery. How has, how has that affected your guys' planning for MTAC? Well, I'm sure there are worse, and I wouldn't even begin to name names because I wouldn't know them. But there may be people out there that consider themselves to have done a bad job with their uh, particular chair time um, or their particular time running an event. I feel like last year, leading up to MTech Ninja, I was probably a pretty uh, crappy con chair. Um, I was laid off from my job in October, and that was a challenge for me. Uh, that, that I kind of I had to push through um, got a new job in February just in time to start being really busy planning the convention so I felt like a, <laughs> a shitty employee for being kind of uh, scatterbrained and getting a lot of phone calls and um, so I don't know if that really applies to the, what was your real question in that I, I started to ramble about jobs no, so. uh, how has it affected the planning for the convention the planning itself. for the convention itself yeah I know there were some things about Hey, there were people that you, you hated to, but you asked them not to, to be dealers or... That stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, the economy doesn't have a lot to do with the dealer decisions. That is more fan-based. We want the fans to have as much variety as possible, but the way Nashville is built, uh, there is not a facility like this where... AWA is very fortunate, beautiful facility. I, I think it's awesome. Um... We don't have that opportunity to have big main room, big dealer room. And since we're way more focused on the entertainment value, uh, we want a good dealer value, but we don't want it to just infinitely expand. In an AWA dealer room, you can get eight dealers selling the same thing, and you can haggle that price with them or whatever you want. Economically, it may not be as good for the fans, but we're trying to trim down the repeats. 
we want one dude to have a bunch of action figures and one dude to have a bunch of wall scrolls and one dude to have a bunch of Pocky or whatever. So if we see redundancies, we're looking for who's doing it best, who has the best selection, who has the most stuff, who looks great. And it's almost, we're fortunate enough to have sort of an adjudication process. We, we have the ability to look at them and say, okay, is this someone we want? Back in the day, we had to beg. We had to come to conventions like this with paper in hand. Please, please consider a dealer booth. We totally appreciate those roots and those people that have been loyal. And we've had to cut people that were loyal. But unless they uh, violate our policies, which is easy, you know, oh, you violated the policies, you're gone. That's a simple decision. It's very difficult to choose. Um, but cutting that back is not economic. It's actually a space issue. We're expanding the dealer room this year. Um, the, the, and we've said that as our public face. We're expanding the dealer room because everybody says we need to expand it. And the truth of it is it's expanding by 400 square feet. <laughs> it's moving across the hall to a more practical location, and it's going to feel bigger, and it's got that one extra booth, but it's really not going to be that much bigger. But the expansion of selection is happening now, and that's what we want to bring is the best selection to the, to the people that are coming to the show. If you're in the southeast and you want to be able to haggle, come to AWA. If you're in the southeast and you want to come to a con like ours that keeps the feel that we have and all the other positives that people say, you go to MTAC as well and... You know, you, you do your shopping however you want to do it. They've said there's been some spending that's that's come down. Um, it's been harder for the dealers. The biggest thing I hear from them is uh, staff cuts. They're having to do more of the work themselves. They used to be able to afford to pay this guy, and uh, now they're doing everything themselves. So they're coming to the show more tired. They're coming to the show a little bit more frustrated. Uh, it's harder to deal with, with negotiating things sometimes because... They're at their wits end to just get it done, get all the work done. Like any entrepreneur, uh, they're back to day one. You know, day one you start out, you stay up all night, you do all your own work. Then you make money, you can hire other people, and they worry about it. Now they're rewound to where they have to worry about it again. But we haven't seen it where they can't afford to come to the show. We haven't seen it where people just don't spend money. Uh, there's still a line when it opens. Uh, our show's growth hasn't slowed. We're still getting 20 to 30 percent growth every year which is a problem in a way, though we welcome, we want more people from the mission of the convention all the way to the money that makes a convention work. We want more people, but at the same time, we need to stay in that Sheraton as long as we can because Nashville's having problems building its new convention center and the existing convention center is uh, not practical for some shows, so that's a civic problem for Nashville. We don't care. It's fine for us, but it's full. (laughs) It's got a Southern Women's Show, uh, Music City Marathon, Easter weekend usually happens, and you got the car show. It, basically, the whole month is filled up with these big corporate clients they're not going to ignore for us. So we can't get in the convention center. We're, we're skittish about Opryland because it's very expensive. Um, it's very big. We don't mind. We would put uh, you know the dealer room at one end and the main room at the other end and, and everything in between, and you just walk because it's all indoors. Um, we, we love the Delta area because it's got that New Orleans uh, mock-up. We think a Mardi Gras anime parade would be really cool, but we just can't spend the money yet to know that we could be solid there. Mm-hmm. The better decision for us was to spin off GMX to give people something else, because we're kind of the coolest fandom event in Nashville. We've got people that aren't even into anime showing up at MTAC because it's the coolest thing to do in this crowd. If we give them GMX, maybe they'll go to GMX, and that'll be where people party, where the older crowd is showing up just to be cool and be fans, very similar to Dragon Con, and then... MTAC can still stay what it is. At the same time, it's grown up. We've got people on our staff who were 12 when I met them and are now perfectly capable adults that are running public safety and other things, you know. And then we've got uh, people that we saw when they were 14 that came to the con and we're like, oh, kids. And then we realized, oh, shit, they're 18-year-old kids. 
they're in line for Shibari, and it's in a 50-person room. Oh, no. There are 200 of them lined up with ID in hand. You know? <laughs> and so we've had to come to terms with the idea that it's, that it's grown up. And so we're making tough decisions. Um, I don't think we've announced it yet, but it's fine for it to break here if you want. Um, Easter 2011 is MTAC. The reasoning being, your deal on a hotel room is going to be crazy good. 80-something. Um, our rental of the facility is going to go down by 25%. We hope that the attendance is leveled out a little bit. What we hope is that anybody that's that's not old enough to make their own decision and tell mom and dad, you know, you know what, I'm not going out of town to grandma's house. I'll still go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to MTAC. If that's whatever they need to do, or they can skip it if they have to, and, and there are other small cons that they can go to under their own power until they're old enough to say, I'm making the choice not to do family Easter. <laughs> so uh, Easter 2011, same hotel, I'm about to sign the contract, um, might temper the growth. But if you look at it, we're getting 400 new people every year. If we lose two to Easter, we're still growing a little, we're still cramming in. But it's also got a lot of, a lot of space. And we have, in Nashville, almost an infinite capacity to build moon bases, <laughs> tents, and sort of random outdoor ballrooms. So the lawn and all this room that they have at the hotel, we're hoping to expand outdoors. We're still waiting for word from the hotel, so I'm not going to talk about it in detail, but there's a really amazing outdoor expansion that we hope to start playing with that we think people will think is awesome and nobody's ever done it at an anime con or any other con. So... We'll see how that works. Um, then there's also the, the tent in the back. That's a four thousand square foot space on its own, sitting on the old tennis court. It can have walls. It can have air conditioning. We just don't rent all those pieces. We just put the roof up. So we're going to enhance that. More lighting, more sound, uh, a little stage, that sort of thing. So there is room there. We just have to temper it and carefully consider it. But now that we're selling out the hotel room, rooms, sleeping rooms, um, it's viable. And uh, we can start doing things like shuttle buses for the other hotels. It's th- you know, gradually doing things like that, but it hasn't slowed. The economy hasn't hit the attendance that bad. It may at some point, but I'm looking around here and not seeing too much slowdown. Um, the bottom line is this is an escape. Most people, they try to sacrifice the escape last. They do other things. They cut back their spending a little bit on food, dealer room. They cram more people in the hotel room. Uh, but if the hotel people are listening, there are only two people in every room at every convention. Of course. Um, but, uh, you know, they do little things like that first. The last thing they do is they cut. They don't cut the, the whole trip. They may cosplay less to get more suitcases from more people in the trunk. They do little things. But I haven't seen a major cut. And I'm hoping that we're on a bounce where we'll get back and people won't have to worry about it. From all perspectives. But coming from a state with some of the highest unemployment in the, in the union... Um, I don't know. I don't know how quick that'll happen, especially in our state. I took a $10,000 pay cut to take my new job, but I'm happy to be employed in a less stressful job that's a way cooler place than I used to work. That trade-off is not too bad. And my boss doesn't think it's too weird that I do this. And I can drive my car to work now with uh, Decepticon emblems on the wheels and on the trunk and (laughs) park in the parking lot, and it's perfectly normal, whereas my older job, more traditional uh, kind of plays, it would have been really, really weird. And so it, it's a trade-off, and I think everybody's making trade-offs, and they're looking at the positive. I think, for the most part, people in our fandom community, they don't get freaked out. Most of them are cynical about the media and politics anyway, so they don't listen. And most people are smart, and they look at their own stuff, and they realize, you know what, some of this is hype. Some of it doesn't apply to me. And uh, mostly, it's it's a it's enough of a support system. They're, you know, they're in school on 
on education loans, so it really doesn't matter <laughs> until later. And then hopefully we'll have th- things happen nationally, uh, uh, policy-wise, that'll help people pay things off later when they do have to pay for it. So I think there's not a lot of sweat yet. Uh, the dealers feel a little bit of a pinch, but I think the way we've managed the dealer room has kept it from being a problem for them or for us. And then the way we manage our con in general hasn't seen a major impact. You know, we're spending a little right now, and it is a little nerve-wracking. But I think we're spending in the right way. We're trying to be responsible and uh, do things that that are good. If I croak tomorrow or I step down, it'll be left as something that somebody can take and move forward. So I don't think it's too big, but it could be eventually. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask through the various years that you've been doing in tech, which of the guests that you brought over has been your favorite? Oh, wow. That's, I can't do that. Some of them are here. And they'll <laughs> they're, hear not gonna, they're not going to listen. They'll hear yeah. this and they'll poison my drinks. Um, you know, let's, let's play friends, you know, most favorite. They're yeah, all your most, favorites. Well, it's like your bestest of your best friends. You know, I'll be honest, not every, not every guest is a favorite. I'll be, I'll be upfront about that. There are some people that are difficult. Now, I'm difficult. I'm a pain in the ass. Um, my, you know, most of my staff, at least we've got about 45, 50 people on staff, um, I'd say half of them don't necessarily like me, but they know that I'm the right guy for the job. Um, half of the half that fundamentally like me wouldn't do it my way, but feel like the way I do it is the only way it can be done right now. Um, I tend to be very strong and pragmatic, and um, I drive my vision. I've tried to pull back a little bit and say, this is what I think. Do what you think. And then when they're wrong, I try not to say, I told you so. I try to say, let's try the alternative, which I mentioned. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not easy to deal with. So I understand, and I would never point the diva finger because I'm, in general life, I can be a diva um, in, in some aspects. Uh, so, I, you know, everybody's got stuff. And they may be in, at, uh, uh, at the park on a Sunday afternoon with their dog and a Frisbee. They're probably great. But there can be people that show up and they are pains in the ass as guests. They're still great people in other realms. But there can be anything. They can have a crappy flight. They could have, uh, you know, food poisoning from the hotel restaurant. Who knows? Something might screw up their time. Um, so they're not all perfect. Nobody is. There are some that are great. Um, and among the ones that are great, uh, you know, I've made friends with, uh, with a few guests. And so it goes to a personal note for me, and then that means my favorite guest is Lisa Furukawa. <laughs> so there you go. And That's it, a good joke. It's very, yeah. well... It's a little biased. I mean, we discovered her from a convention perspective. She was already an accomplished musician. Um, she was already doing the Tori Amos uh, Women's Benefit Festival that she was involved with. She was already her own entity uh, as, a, as, a, as a performer and, and a, a figure in, in independent music. Uh, but when we went to Japan Fest, and, uh, which we're also doing this weekend again, because they're on the same weekend, which uh, needs to stop, but... <laughs> um, we saw her, and uh, she was attractive. She was in the right kind of uh, attire to appeal to anime fans, the way she dresses. Uh, she either dresses sort of a semi-Asian punk kind of thing, or she goes all out kimono. She's half Japanese, which is, you know, you don't get more genuine than that without being 100% Japanese. So, um, Or, you know, three quarters. But, uh, you know, basically the... I don't know how you would accomplish three quarters, actually. But nine <laughs> Basically, yeah, there you go, nine-tenths. Um, she, she visually and personally, the way she acts around people, we were like, wow, she's cool. She could be an, an anime guest. And we were like, how do you do that? And they were, at the time, it only took three people on our board of directors to make a decision. 
And we were sitting there in the audience at Japan Fest outside listening to her concert, three of us. And we all agreed, we need to get her at MTAC. And we just said, we're going to do it. If the other two want to say no, sorry. Uh, three of us said yes. We're going to do it now. We're going to offer her right now. Um, we heard her do Georgia on my mind in Japanese, which uh, kind of rattled souls. It was amazing. And her other songs that are a mix of Japanese and English or fully Japanese, we were just like, wow, this is really cool stuff. We think anime fans would dig this. It was one of those entertainment hunches that sometimes turns out right. So we got her to come up, and uh, she did uh, the Tennessee Waltz in Japanese, which uh, still just kills me. Uh, and she proved to be awesome, and she ended up getting other invites. And now she's done you know, something like 30-something appearances at different cons. And I really think that's great. I, I love having launched someone into a branch of their career that gave them a completely different experience. And it opened her up to all kinds of stuff. She's been able to network in the industry and get all kinds of other things in the works for her career. Now she's moving toward uh, pulling out of the, uh, the convention circuit. Then she mentioned this, uh, I think on a blog, but uh, anyway, she, she mentioned it where I saw it. And I said, uh, hey, um, I'm not going to let you leave the convention circuit until you do your farewell concert at MTAC. So unless she changes her mind, the last convention performance for Lisa, until she does a return, which we all know musicians love to do, um, but her farewell concert would be MTAC Odyssey. So uh, I, I think that's fitting. We gave her her first. We'll give her her last. She's going to focus on some other things. She's got other things, other irons in the fire. She's got family plans. Uh, all kinds of stuff that she can focus on. She's a, a amazing person. So personally, having gotten to know her, having discovered her for convention purposes, she's the favorite. Uh, you know, I like when I develop the friendships. I've got friendships with with a lot of the guests. Uh, you know, Doug Smith, Neil Kaplan, and, and Vic Mignana, and, and others that that I just think are are totally fun people. I've got friendships with, and they've all networked together. You know, a lot of these people are friends. You know, Lisa and Vic are friends, and um, it's a really cool community. Um, nobody's perfect, and uh, uh, when when people are even imperfect, there are still just some great people running around. But I, I think I'd have to pick her. <laughs> I guess if I were to to pick one. Follow up question: Gun put you on the spot. Who is the least favorite? Well, <laughs> I, I have a hunch, but uh, I'm gonna let you say. That's hard to say. Um, wow, I don't know. Um, there have been practical reasons, really. I don't think there's anybody that we personally felt wasn't a great guest. But practical reasons, there have been some people that were, that were and I say people like even the bands, um, there are some, some heavy maintenance and expense kind of ventures that are not easy to deal with. Um, I really don't have a least favorite. I just have different like logistic problems along the way that make it difficult to say let's do that every year you know um, I guess the uh, the least favorite thing for me to do from a guest perspective is to repeat 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 I hate doing that I have a kind of a rule um, that MTAC will not constantly have the same people of course you're listening to me say that and you're thinking how many times have you seen Doug Smith at MTAC but the difference is that Doug Smith fluctuates between being just a dude in the artist alley selling his stuff and being an actual listed guest. 
Um, he always wants to come to the show. Economically, it's good for him. And we help him out with whatever we can. We'll give him a table if he'll make the trip from Texas. He's got family in Nashville, which is kind of handy. He stays with them before the con and after the con, so we don't have to invest much in a room. And you know, So there's a lot of reasons why he works out really easily. But for the most part, we try not to do something where we have the same kind of headliners all the time. So I'd say that the least favorite thing for me to do is to bring the same bands over and over and over, which is why you see us rotate through. We don't have P-Lander Z every year because you're bringing several people in and you're paying for transportation. You've got to rent a lot of musical equipment. And it's Nashville, so it's easy to do, but it can be expensive. So as I say in the, in the genre, and this is really weird because we're Music City's Anime Con, but bands are the most difficult logistically. Thus, they're the easiest one for me to look at and go... Okay, they were here last year, let's skip a year, let's go with this, and then we'll bring them back later. So that's kind of where I'm at, I guess. General category, bands with least favorite from a practical standpoint. The problem is, they're the best partiers. <laughs> the bands are the best drinkers. The bands are the best people to sit around with in the middle of the night, especially P. Lander Z, but several others that are just awesome partiers. So it's very difficult when you want to have fun with these people behind the scenes to make that cut. But I try to look at it as a business. I always have. That's one of the reasons MTAC, I think, has been successful and possibly one of the reasons that half of my staff hates me. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, and, and that's, that's facetious, they don't hate me. They just don't always like me. Um, I think that that's probably one of the things, you know, they're, they're people second when we're planning the convention. They're people first when we're drinking in the green room. So the problem for me is that from the very beginning it's a business, Thus, the least favorite thing is to, is to repeat the same bands because it's a big investment of time and money. So, I guess that's about it. I mean, I guess, you know, if you've... If anybody ever just completely goes apeshit, they'll be my least favorite <laughs> guest. Like, if they, if they just storm out halfway through uh, over nothing. But nobody's done that to us yet. Um, so, I, I, I don't really... I don't think I have anybody. Nobody's ever caused a scene. Nobody's ever been a bad person to us. It's, it's really... It's all any any trouble that's ever happened has been quiet in the middle of the night, uh, kind of stuff. You know, crazy, just random shit. Um, nobody's ever like quit halfway through a, a concert <laughs> or anything. You know, because that would be the way that you would earn. I don't like you as a guest on my list. Would be like if you if you impacted the fans. As long as you just impact my staff, and you're making requests for too many bottles of water, I'll tell that person get over it, get their water. That's you know so. It's hard to earn that. So I don't think anybody has, but there's a category. I get categorical answers for you today. Okay. <laughs> it's not something you can really answer without the... <laughs> well, I, I really can't pick anybody. I could give you lists of people that I thought made less impact, but that's different points in their career. You know, I've got a family friend, uh, 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 Jackson. I can't remember his last name now, but he was he's a voice professional, not an anime voice actor. And we brought him in as an easy guest. He, he had uh, family in Nashville. And he hasn't done any other work that would lead me to be able to bring him back. So if I were to go back and look at hey, who are all the guests we've ever had and, and who, would we, who would we bring back, I can't put him on the list logistically. Because he hasn't done anything new, and now there's a lot of industry people. There's a lot of voiceover general people that you can get to come in. Um, podcast guys like yourselves make for great doing voice work that's recorded panels because you're doing it, you know? And, and so you don't even have to have a guest to have that panel now. Back then, you kind of did. Um, so so Jackson would be somebody where I'd logistically say, oh, he might be at the bottom of the list. But I can get away with it because he's like, you know, friends with my parents. So, <laughs> um, you know, I couldn't go out there and, and you know, since Lisa was my, my favorite, I couldn't go out there and trash Lisa and be like, ah, pff, I don't like having her at the con anymore. Those boots are too high. <laughs> 
not enough leg. I don't know what what would you complain about? She's an awesome person, but but you know I I not wouldn't be leg. able to single in on somebody like that. But uh, um, you know I think as far as logistic and business reasons, you could put them in order, but uh, it wouldn't be anything relevant. Nobody even knows who he is, <laughs> but he's a great guy. Uh, third question, I guess. Um, of all the people that you haven't had, want to have who's who's your dream guest? Oh. It almost happened, and her name is Megan Fox. Wow. <laughs> um, I made a charity case. Uh, I do this. <laughs> there, actually, she's tied with uh, with Sam Jackson. Um, two years in a row. No, not two years in a row. Skipped a year. 07, I was in talks with Megan Fox's agent at the time. He no longer represents her, but uh, at the time, I was in talks with Megan Fox's agent. Keep in mind the chronology. April is MTAC, July is Transformers, 2007. Right. And I said, uh, look, we're this, uh, we're fandom convention, uh, non-profit. I don't get paid. Nobody gets paid. We, you know, we do this for the love of it and to spread the fandom around, give you opportunities to reach the fans. The girls from outside Knoxville. We will bring her to Tennessee. We will make an appearance at this convention. We will make sure she makes every media appearance that you want to book for her. And we will pay for her to go visit family back home. The local media will do the big story on beautiful starlet comes home, blah, blah, blah. You get all that benefit if you will work with us on, on making it affordable. And we had negotiated something that, uh, that MTAC could afford. And I'm not, I'm not going to out what her rate was then, which is definitely better not be where it is now. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to out what he was willing to do with that rate. But for 10% of what they normally charge, we could have done it. But all the talk shows were picking up uh, stuff, and all the pre uh, preview openings were happening, and the schedule would not permit it. Uh, never once did he come back and say, you can't afford it. Um, he said, I'll give her that offer, and he came back and said, that offer would work. Let's see what the schedule looks like, because we're not going to give you priority over an opening or a talk show, and that's what happened. Same time, we were talking to Shia LaBeouf's agent, and that was shot down real fast. Before the money, he said, nope, he's got Letterman that Friday night. And sure enough, walked by the bar, and people at MTAC were watching Shia LaBeouf on Letterman in the uh, in the bar. So she's for me the uh, both from a business perspective and from a personal standpoint because I, I like everybody else, I have the world's biggest crush on Megan Fox. So I would have loved to have made that happen. I'd love to make it happen again. I really doubt it'll happen. Uh, so that from every perspective of it would have been my my. Unicorn in the, in the <laughs> guest, uh, followed quickly by Sam Jackson, who we had approached for MTAC Ninja for obvious reasons. Right. <laughs> Afro Samurai. Um, we did the same thing because he spent some time in Chattanooga and Memphis uh, in his early years, and we were doing the same thing. We'll bring him here, we'll do all the media tours, we'll do everything, just work with us on a fee that we can afford. Um, we had some conversations, we just didn't get a lot of calls back. So, uh, it, that that was a t- pretty typical response from some of these Hollywood agents. Um, we did also pursue for GMX and uh, asked asked the agents uh, about him for GMX, and the answer was, we don't think you can afford him, but he's also busy. Sorry. Um, so it's been kind of a blow off from that perspective. What sucks is a lot of times these guys, these agents are gatekeepers, and they look at you. Oh, you're not entertainment tonight. Pff, whatever. We don't want to talk to you. And you, your legitimacy is also ge- geographic. We had to face the fact, you know, we're in Nashville. We have a lot of claims to big city uh, status, but we also have a lot of hokey reputation in some circles. 
unless they're exposed to the right angle, a lot of people in the entertainment industry think Nashville's just that place with country music. They don't realize that we've got an awesome indie music rock scene, uh, you know, blues scene in Memphis and all that other stuff. They don't realize the music is more diverse, and they don't realize that the city is more diverse. They don't realize any of that. Um, so it's hard to make that pitch initially. If you can go around the the fuzz and go to the guest and get the guests supporting it and get them to tell their agent that they support it, then you get further. So we haven't had any luck with, with him, but those two are, are definitely the ones. The ones where I'm like, oh, and I would do it in a minute. If we could afford it, Sam Jackson would be a guest at MTAC any time because of the, the Afro Samurai role, MTAC Ninja or no MTAC Ninja. Um, so, yeah, that, those, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I find it funny that you mentioned Megan Fox because uh, she's, I think she's starting a movie now called Jennifer's Body. But yes. I find it hilarious that they uh, made a movie about my wife and didn't, didn't mention that. <laughs> and I guess this is your wife making faces in the background. Yeah. She bites too. Yeah, she mm, yeah. eats people and says, "Oh, I wouldn't bite you." And it's know. gonna be it's gonna be hot. I, I, you know, I'm gonna yeah. love that movie. Um, you know. We still do the, the themes uh, that started back when we decided on the odd numbering scheme, and the numbers are always related to the theme. Uh, you know, nine, ninja, they're both a similar word, obvious kind of thing. And there was some references, I don't know enough about the lore, but uh, in the martial arts and ninja culture, there's some significance to the number and all this stuff. So, you know, Odyssey 2010, and so reference right. to Space Odyssey. Um, so we always try to tie it in, but I think any time, it doesn't matter if it's MTAC Pink Kittens. <laughs> Sam Jackson can be a guest. He can. Let's do, so you had that maturity warning, right? So it'd be MTech motherfucking pink kittens. That's what it's gonna. So um, I, I just, you know, I'll buy him a BMF wallet. Um, whatever we, whatever we got to do. But uh, so far, it's not happening. <laughs> what year is MTech pink kittens? Uh, it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, we do believe it or not, because I'm so driven about the business. We know. Um, we, we operate on a, a, once we announce the theme, it's set, of course. Um, we always know, once you've had a theme that you're told about that we announce, we already know the next one. We've already penciled in the next one, which would be 2012 at this point, and we're really sure about 2013. We get fuzzy at 14, 15, and 16, have, all of which we have penciled in. I have suggestions for uh, 2015. Well, we've taken the suggestions, but what is yours? Um, for obvious reasons, I am a hardcore Evangelion fan, uh, so 2015 would be a great Ava theme, and it's also the 20th anniversary of when the show was released in Japan. 2015 is still up for uh, decision reversal, which we recently did with Eleven. Um, we went to the second choice, because of some changes in the fandom. You won't find out about Eleven yet, but it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, we made a hunch about fandom, didn't come out to, to play out. Uh, for 2011, so we changed it to the other strong... There was one vote between them. It was one person pushing it one way. Uh, and that person even admitted, okay, that didn't work out like we thought it would in the fandom, so we won't use that theme. We'll use a different theme. We've switched it. So 2015 is far enough out. It's definitely... We think we know, which I'm also not going to tell you, but <laughs> we think we know. And uh, But it's also in that range. It's far enough out that things that happen in fandom are going to potentially change it. So... Uh, that might be something where we uh, we reconsider, but we're pretty sure. I think I think 2011 is definitely done. We're settled on that, unless there's a drastic sudden change in the fandom before we make the announcement and make too many moves. Um, 2012, we're pretty sure about. 2012 is too good of a theme not to use, and then uh, 
Uh, 13 is a pretty good theme too. Uh, 14 is, is uh, there, your hint is for 14, it's about time that we did something like what we want to do in 14. So there you go. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, it's pretty wide open. We've only gone as far as 16. It was almost a luck thing. We were like, we don't want to jinx ourselves and plan to 20. That would, that would be so presumptuous. <laughs> Uh, and we were, when we were doing that particular discussion of this extreme foresight planning of these themes, we've, we, the economy was starting to dive, and we were like, we think it would be very bad luck right now to plan for the next 10 years. Uh, let's just go with what comes to us. And so stuff came to us till 2016, and we started being pressed. Anybody got any good ideas? 17? 17? 17? No? 17? No? Okay. 17 is off the table. We're done. We pencil in 2016. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> so, one to get your opinion, uh, sort of tangentially related to my Evangelion obsession. Um, probably aware that ADV recently closed its doors, imploded, and, and reopened them <laughs> as something else to uh, try and crawl out from their uh, creditors. Yeah. Um, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, on that and some of the other recent industry changes, shrinkages, if you will. Um, I hear a lot of opinions. I don't get to do a lot of my own research. I typically corner people like Nico, who is our new marketing person. Uh, he recently took over from Cole. He was Cole's second, so it made total sense. Um, Nico's very plugged in. I typically I'll say, hey, I've heard about this. Take me through the issue, and we'll use like a road trip to AWA or something, and we'll discuss for hours. Like, okay, get me up to speed. Or, you know, I only read Batman and Transformers comics, and so you know, we'll go see a X Men movie, and then I'll get the two hour dissertation from Nico, the quintessential comic book fan, that makes me totally up to speed on that. So I rely on other people to give me their opinions and perspectives. Um, between guests and people on the staff, and then random fandom interactions. I get a lot of different stuff coming to me, but I think, first of all, economically, um, economically, the, the media industry, uh, whether it was music, video, what have you, uh, was not prepared and didn't have a model that could be successful through some of these economic strains. One of the first things people do in a bad economy is they move toward things that they deem harmless that are actually illegal. So... You're already battling a download trend. You're already battling that, the sharing of media. And philosophically, we could sit here all day and say whether or not media should be created for free consumption by the world. That's a very valid, philosophical, noble idea, but at the end of the day, it's all business. Uh, there's some very valid arguments to the contrary that it should be controlled and profited from. Um, that aside, they've been completely stupid. Music, video industry, both of them, Idiotic. Uh, media stores like Media Play disappearing, Tower disappearing, all of it based on these ancient and expelled gods of physical <laughs> media that just retarded decisions about holding desperately onto the CD and its price point and the DVD. And it just doesn't make sense. And nobody was ready to react. So you have that factor, and then you have anything else that could possibly go wrong built on this fragile boat. <laughs> so I think really, I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, they deserved it, but I will say that loyalty isn't there. Um, there is loyalty to series. There is some loyalty to, to publishers and distributors and such, but I think conventions enjoy loyalty. The 
publishers don't enjoy loyalty. There's a break. Uh, the loyalty is with us at the convention level. The loyalty is with the voice actors for the work that they do, or the composers for the music that they create, or the, the bands that performed it, or whatever. The loyalty for the people that ultimately make it function doesn't exist. The loyalty, nobody gives a shit if AWA, or AWA, if ADV, I'm getting my A's messed up, is stamped on the back of that DVD, or Bob's Video Emporium <laughs> is stamped on the back of that DVD, or whatever. There's no loyalty there. And I used to work for Apple, so I know something about brand loyalty, and I've tried to create it with MTAC, and I, I've tried to follow some models that I think are, are successful. And even the brands that I tolerate because they do the good things that they do, <clears throat> AT&T, um, you know, they still have loyalty in a lot of cases, whether it's traditional in AT&T's case or Apple has the Apple snob thing. Um, but basically the, the loyalty isn't around, so nobody cares. Nobody wants to help. Nobody wants to save it. Nobody wants nobody, you know, everybody just looks sarcastically at the headline and goes, silly ADV. And then they know that somewhere it'll come back. Some guy will put it on the internet for free. ADV will restructure They'll sell all their stuff to somebody else, whatever. There's no stake. But if your convention disappears, there's a stake. If your voice actor decides not to do that voice, there's a stake. Your loyalty and what you're used to and what you love about it changes. They don't have anything like that. I think a place where they've disconnected over the years, and this has always been a vocal complaint of mine, is they've been inconsistent in the fandom world. Sometimes you can get a call back the next day when you call a studio. Sometimes they don't care who you are, and they don't want to do anything for your convention. I think there's been a disconnect between them really understanding the fandom and the loyalty there and really embracing it, and they're just out there selling it. They're like, bam, here's a, here's a movie. Bam, here's an, an OVA. Here's a series. That, just putting it out there. It's, a, it's purely product, far too much, to where if you go to a, a Vic panel or any other panel, you... There's people that are invested in the art. They're doing what they're doing. They make money. They know they're making a living at it, but they're doing what they're doing. They have fun doing it. They know their fans are a following. Some of them know it better than others. But we know, we being the voice actors and the community of fans and the, and the convention scene, and I don't think some of these companies get it. And I don't know how much that applies to ADV, but I think that in general, they just don't seem to always get it. And they don't earn or maintain the loyalty. So I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, they're they're on a boat that's kind of rickety <laughs> from economic and from a philosophical standpoint. So I don't know how to fix that. Uh, there are great ways to discuss doing so, but uh, that, that would be my first reactions. And then, of course, I'm sure there's some very detailed financial stuff that I could learn one day that shows me that I'm completely wrong. But uh, my, my initial gut reaction is, well, you're you're not present. Nobody really cares if you exist because your media is what people care about. And if they can't get it from you, they will import it from Japan themselves or whatever. Uh, sort of tying in with that, what do you think about some of the slow adaptations of uh, some of the re release schedules? Now we're seeing more, you know, box sets or two disc sets of shows coming out rather than just single DVDs, as well as. Um, Funimation comes to mind trying to release uh, shows on their website as they're being broadcast in Japan. Do you think that's a good way to go, or do you think they're still a little bit ways off? I'm from way more enthusiastic about any kind of internet distribution than I am anything else, because I've got IPTV at home. I'm done with cable. Um, I still have yet to have my iFired Comcast backyard barbecue party. 
Um, but, you know, I celebrate the concept that we will get our media through the single source of the Internet. So that's a good move, maybe. But my, my juxtaposition with this is that media companies can screw anything up. If they try hard <laughs> enough, they'll make it screw up. And, uh, you know, especially the music industry, they can screw anything up if they try hard enough, too. Um, but the media and entertainment business just hasn't quite figured out how to get it right to be totally prepared for where we're going as a technological and social society. And um, web, good idea. Don't know exactly how they're executing it yet, and I don't know what its longevity will be, will be but I would be more enthusiastic about that. Um, with the box sets and such, you're, you're kind of going with the one where they give you the, the teaser box and you're supposed to buy more and fill it in later? No, I'm going or with the one where it's like, the, uh, uh, it's season one, part one, and then they release... Uh, the how many different DVDs can we sell to give people the total collection of media that we could have crammed onto one disc in the first place right. model. Right. Yeah, that one, um, first of all, fandom is very cynical. Uh, <laughs> fandom is the first group of people to say, you're full of shit, and not move from that position. And uh, that is a great way to trigger the full of shit reaction. Um, we know the technology... Most of us are already encoding the same things in more quantity per disc than they are. <laughs> so this is another disconnect where they are just sitting there kind of ignoring reality. And instead of trying to really push how good a, sh a show is, and instead of trying to do what even TV shows in America do where they, they maybe push it beyond its years, Smallville, they, um, you know, they kind of they, they don't milk it. They just let it be what it is. Oh, here's what it is. Let's not expand on it. Instead, let's try to just sell more different things. Um, and I think they're feeding their own piracy problem. You know, you're, you're not going to buy their, uh, you know, five discs to get a season or whatever it is when you could download all of it, especially when you're broke. So they're not appealing to anybody. Um, you know, they really need to learn uh, other ways of doing things. You know, I, didn't, I don't really buy a lot of DVDs. Uh, movies and stuff. I bought the Matrix collection because of what it, it was very nicely done. One of my biggest complaints about the music industry, and it translates to video, is I'm really not that interested in your clamshell. I'm interested in what you give me that looks neat. What What is cool? Put an action figure in there and put it in a cool box. Whatever it is, I'll probably fall for it. The caveat to that is if it's Transformers, I'll buy it anyway. But <laughs> basically, the the general thing for me is I'm ignoring it. I don't buy a lot of movies because I have Netflix and I have every premium channel in HD on a DVR box on IPTV, which I have yet to figure out how you fill up the DVR on my particular box. Right? It's not full yet, and they don't tell you how full it is. So I'm just like, okay, I've got 65 recordings. I have no when idea what that When means. it breaks, it breaks. Right. Um, so I live in a world consuming media in a different way, and most of us do. I'm not even the most, I'm not cutting edge. <laughs> I have a lot of friends and a lot of people on my staff that will be the first to tell you, oh, he's way too commercial. He takes whatever Apple gives him, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of people that are real into this. They know exactly what they're doing with every form of media. They never buy anything. And, and I'm not going to out them because they'll get, you know, beaten down by the FBI. But um, that's the reality. And th there couldn't be any business decision more opposite reality and technology than to go in that direction and sell these onesie twosie things to eventually amass more money, especially right now. Right now is a terrible time to do it. Um, they don't even have the common sense to do the stuff like the old VHS tapes of the Star Trek movies that I've got where you had to have them all or you didn't get the complete picture of the Enterprise. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
they don't even do that. They just put it out there. It's like, here it is, whatever. And it's a bad decision. But now the internet thing, different. I think that might have legs depending on how they do it. Uh, it's got to be good quality, so we'll see. I think I'm going to get out of the Funimation booth after this and say, uh, why the hell are you charging $90 for a whole series on Blu-ray when I know you could put that crap on one disc? Yeah, pretty much. Enjoy yeah. that fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have... Well, they, are, they already pissed me off by uh, casting somebody else for Ray Ayanami, so... <clears throat> I, I have no other reason to live. Again, that you know, they just don't get the uh, the uh, the fandom in a lot of cases. And I think if they actually would listen to their voice actors and treat them as a little bit more... Now, I'm not saying they all do this. There, there are probably great relationships between producers and voice actors. And there are some producers that are, that are out there um, that are in the fandom scene. They go to conventions. They do all this other stuff. So um, there are plenty of good ones out there. But I think largely from a corporate perspective, they don't have the um, the real relationship where they're listening. They've got people on the ground. They've got the the Vic Mignanas that go to every show they can and, and, and really, I mean, you know, the guy's got 18 fans walking around behind him everywhere. I mean, you know, it, these people are out there. They're in touch with the fans. And it's, it's a, not a big business decision. You always check with the people on the ground. Even retail eventually they get down to the level of the guy at the cash register and try to find out from them what's going on out there, what's real. You know, Nothing happens until you get the guy on the ground. Kroger does not get a new system on the automated checkout without asking the poor guy that has to run the damn thing. And then they come up with the idea of a handheld unit that he can walk around and help customers and monitor the system at the same time. That doesn't happen without talking to people, but it doesn't seem like in the video industry, at least in the anime industry especially, that they're saying, hey, you just got back from... AWA or Otakon, uh, what's the buzz? What's new? They don't debrief these guys, I don't think, in the right ways. They may do some. And there may be somebody that does, and then they go try to tell their boss, and their boss doesn't care. Somewhere along the way, I think there's a disconnect, and they're not listening. Well, we have uh, severely uh, monopolized your time. Far, far, <laughs> far in excess I'm of what I said. I'm good as long as you're be. good, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm running your hard drive well, out of space. Yeah, we could probably... <laughs> Run you all day. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and and, and do the plug for you. Uh, GMX, the Geek Media Expo. Mm-hmm. If this comes out before, it's it's in October second uh, through fourth. Yeah. Um, if this podcast comes out after, you should have gone. You should have gone, and uh, <laughs> shame on you, really. And if you did go, I hope you had a great time and, and go to the next one. Uh, MTAC Odyssey definitely gonna. This podcast will be out before then. Uh, that's April 30th through May 2nd. Nobody's Both. dancing because it's her birthday. Right? Yeah. No. Oh. But anyway, uh, both in Nashville, and, and obviously we all hope, we plan to be at MTAC if we can't be at, uh, at GMX. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to give uh, the con chair the, the final word on this. Any any message to in, to anyone? Do, are, there, are there areas that you still need volunteers for MTAC? Is there, is there a message you need to get out? Absolutely. Well, you know, with GMX, we really want people to take a look at it. If they're in uh, if they're in a decent driving, I, I, I would say that, you know, if you're up to six hours away, it's probably worth coming down. Um, we want to give it a good start. We want to especially give it the opportunity for people that are into something, in, in addition to anime, to come out and really blow that out. Um, because we really think Nashville needs to have a multi-genre fandom convention. And it, for us, was the responsible way to spend MTAC's money. We, uh, 
we looked at it and we said we could, you know, we could invest, we could buy more stuff, we could rent our stuff to other conventions when we buy more stuff, but that's a big pain in the ass. And, you know, there's all these ideas. And, and the big thing was, why don't we do something we can control? Let's do a second show. And it also bolsters us should anime start to fade. We've got this other convention and the organization itself is more stable because of it. The caveat is the first three years, it's not stable at all. It's like any convention. The only difference between GMX and a new con is that the credit card of the con chair doesn't float it. The, the actual funds of the other convention float it. MTAC is an organization, and it produces a three days of anime-themed event every year, and it produces GMX. They're both the same ultimate product with different focuses. and So I would encourage people to, to not wonder too much about whether or not you'll have a good time at GMX. If, you, if you've got the money, which I realize is always an issue, grab a room, grab a membership. They're 18 bucks if you know where to look on the Internet, um, and it's not real hard. You just got to click a few things. Um, it's 18 bucks for 48 hours of a good show. Uh, the guests are entry level guests, but we do have the you know uh, Veronica from Clerks. It's a really cool guest, and not a, not a lot of appearances. So she's she's going to be fun to meet, and she's she handles her own stuff. You know, she called me on my phone. She doesn't do the agent thing. She doesn't do the buffer thing. She'll be there and talk to you. Um, so I think it'd be a lot of fun. That would be that'd be the biggest immediate appeal is we want people to come out. We've got more than half the pre reg of the total complement of what we think we're going to have. So we're going to have a good few hundred people con. Uh, we just want to make sure that you're part of it. Uh, and then, of course, if this comes out after the con, this is all useless, and you should come to GMX2, or whatever we call it. Um, we won't be themed. GMX uh, 2010. But, uh, you know, th- that'd be the big thing. And then, of course, MTAC Odyssey, uh, we realized a lot of people were wondering, oh, it's all GMX. Where's the MTAC info? Well, you can pre-register now. Um, you can still do all the social networking, all the forums. It's all fundamentally there. We have a, a, you know, a lot of guests that are confirmed that we haven't gotten to announce We'll get out there soon. I mean, obviously, we, we already mentioned Lisa. You know, she'll be out. Uh, you know, we're working on Vic, getting him wrapped up. Uh, what we're doing with this is we're taking the favorite guests from every year of MTAC. And at our 10th anniversary, we will have each year represented um, by a guest. And uh, you can probably go back through your MTAC calendars and uh, or through the uh, Anime Convention's website, and you can see who those might be and take some guesses. But we're working with those folks and getting them out and a few new people. And that's going to be a big deal for us because it's the 10th year, um, well, 10th convention. Uh, it's really 11 years, but the way we count, it's the 10th anniversary. And uh, for me, it'll be a big deal because it'll be nice to have everybody that's been there forever. And we'll, we'll uh, have some really cool special stuff going on. Uh, we're working on a con kitty figurine. We're working on a, cal- a calendar. Um, some neat stuff that's just the 10-year thing that we're going to do. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. I think you should do both shows. I think you should support every fandom convention that you've got the time and the money to support. Always come and work. We can never have too many people. Even though we seem disorganized, it's because we all have a job and a life and we have to juggle it in. But we welcome you to come out, even if you uh, only do you know one or two things. And we want panels, especially if it's other fandom. Come out and get involved in GMX. Make an appearance this year. The schedule's already pretty full. Tell us what you can do. And come out to the next one and do a uh, do a panel, and then come to MTAC Odyssey and do a brand new panel there. Um, we're really excited about the involvement. We try to be about the fans, and uh, I think we'll we'll get to do a lot of that in these next two cons, and we look forward to it. So that, I guess that'd be my final pitch. And, and then if you're if you're going to a con uh, before, after, or around this podcast, I hope you have a blast and uh, don't ever let it go. I just got back from Dragon Con. And I saw old timers everywhere and families with kids and I can't wait till my kid's old enough to dress up as my Jawa Jedi character I'm playing yeah. in an RPG right now 
uh, and march him around in costume. We're going to try to stick him in an Astro Boy costume for MTAC Odyssey because he's perfect size and shape for it right now. So it's great, you know. It's a family thing. It's a lifetime thing. And uh, keep up what you're doing in fandom. It's uh, it's our thing, and it's a, it's cool to be geek now. So enjoy it. It wasn't always like that. Trust me. 